Christ has died so that I can have all things. Yes, name it, claim it, frame it. I'm going to have the house. I'm going to have the car. I'm going to have this. I'm going to have that. And it stops there. Yes, God wants you to have a house. He wants you to be blessed. Absolutely. But it's not about that. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We are busy with a series called One Gospel, One Church. And we are working through the book of Romans. And it's been an amazing journey. I know my life has changed. Has your lives changed from this powerful letter of Paul to the Roman church? Oh, it's amazing. And um, today's title is One Love. One Love. We're going to talk about the love of God and, a, and how profound and amazing it is. Um, we're so excited about what God is doing in our midst. And um, we, we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to go deeper. Um, and he's been breaking open so many things. I'm just going to do a very quick recap. We spoke about his one standard, which is about God's righteousness. Who can remember that? We spoke about the one way where we can get to righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ. We spoke about the gift, the one gift, which is Jesus himself. And we spoke about one baptism. What does it mean to be born again? And how Jesus was our example in that spoke about one spirit, and, and that took us a few weeks to get through all the talk of Holy Spirit and His role in our lives, and how through Him we have the power to live in a world where sin is still around us, but we have the power in the Holy Spirit to, be, to move beyond the power of sin in our lives. Amen? And um, we spoke also about what sin is. What is this thing that we are freed from? And we spoke about the definitions, and then we saw the amazing power of the Holy Spirit. And we spoke about one glory, the glory that, that Jesus stepped into after he suffered, and how a similar type of glory is available to the saints, available to the elect of God, that when we suffer with him, and w when we um, stay in that place, and we are, we are uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> We remain in Him. We abide in Him. And we, we, we get through those seasons of suffering. There's the promise of His glory at the end of our lives. And then last week we spoke about one destiny. And how, and these are, I mean, the last few weeks have all been in Romans 8. I see some theologians and some teachers call it the greatest chapter in the Bible. Uh, because it's just so rich. There's so much going on. And there's so many truths spoken. And I know if, as a young Christian and over the years, I've studied Romans 8 a lot. Um, and it's always, there's a lot of encouragement. There's a lot of power in it. And then last week we spoke about one destiny and we saw how the Holy Spirit 
is an intercessor for us and that he actually communicates with our spirit and tells us we are children of God, but also then intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray or how to pray. And we looked at what that means. And we saw that we also, if we um, are people who love God and people who are called according to his purpose, then we can stand on the truth that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called. Amen. How powerful is this? Exciting, eh? I'm, I'm so blessed. I hope that you are as well. All right, so that brings us to today and the last few verses of Romans 8. Um, I thought I was going to be able to do this and the previous four or five verses last week, and I mean, you guys saw it. Didn't. <laughs> Took me, I thought we were going to clap it in half an hour. Took an hour. Um, but this is just how rich these verses are. It's amazing. So we're going to talk about one love. What is, what, is, what, is the, what is this love of God? Um, and very recently, as recent as this weekend, <laughs> my, my one boy asked me, so dad, how long have you and mom known each other? So I made a quick calculation. It's 18, just about 18 years. 18 and a half technically. 18 and a half years. And he said, okay. So you knew each other for a long time before you got married because you, you have been married 15 years. I said, no, no, no. We married almost 17 years. It's like, 17 years? Wow. How long were you dating? I said, well, I said five months, but technically we were dating for about three months, and then we were, um, no, two months, and then we were, um, we were engaged for five. And it all happened very quickly. And he, said, and he was like blown away by this. I said, yeah, bro, if you know, you know. If you know that God has spoken, this is your spouse, you know. You don't wait. One of the best pieces of advice I got at the time was my pastor said to me, the, the only reason you get engaged is to have time to prepare for the wedding day. So the, the engagement doesn't have to be longer than what it's going to take to prep for your wedding day. And I was like, that's good advice. So we took that advice. <laughs> People are like engaged for a year, two years. I'm like, what are you doing? If you know, get married. Anyway. You should not for moeilijkheid. You too long uitdrak. If you try to do it God's way. If you're not trying to do it God's way, then yeah. Um, anyway, so we're having this conversation. And then he, he looked at me and he said, in that time of knowing mom, did you ever get so angry or frustrated or irritated that you thought of leaving her or divorcing her? And without... Blinking or thinking, I confidently and emphatically said to him, no, not once, and I never will. And I could see this sense of comfort just coming over him. Why? Why could I say that? Because I made a decision, and I made a covenant with my wife. I know how much I need Jesus, and I know how, to what extent I'm definitely not perfect, and the one who knows all my imperfections would be my wife. <laughs> and I know that she's not perfect. And she's walking with Jesus. Individually, we both. <laughs> See, she's not perfect. She just took offense. So. <laughs> Some people will get that. Um, so. <laughs> and I know 
that God put us together. And you know what? This is where the world has lied so successfully to the average person, is that your happiness, first and foremost, they try to tell you that happiness is the ultimate goal. And what they mean by happiness is everything that you want, you get. And then happiness is based on how you feel. So now you, you think, and this is even some Christians live this way because they haven't had the revelation. So they live this way where they think that, well, if I don't feel happy, it must mean that I'm not happy. And if I'm not happy, then I need to move away from the situation that doesn't make me happy. And that's a lie. That's why we see so many divorces. That's why we see so many people living together, sleeping together, not making a commitment to one another because they want to keep their options open because it's an admin schlep to get divorced. Me, 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 I, 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 self, self, self. Why does Jesus tell us to die? Why does Jesus call us to put on our cross daily? Why does he say it's, not a, it's, it's about his kingdom? It's about serving him. Why does he say in Ephesians 4 to husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, laying down his life? That's an instruction. And Jesus is the example. He laid down his life for his church. So I could say to my boy, I will never stop loving my wife. My love will never stop. Will the world come and the enemy come and people come and try to separate my love from my wife? Yes. Will things, will people, will circumstances, will feelings try to separate us? Yes. But they will not succeed. Because I don't love my wife with the love that I conjure in my own flesh. I love my wife with the love of God. Because I'm a born again new creation. So I love from the spirit the power of the Spirit of God, which makes the impossible possible. We've had many times where we, where we look at each other in the eye and like she's completely convinced she's right. I'm completely convinced I'm right. And, and we like, I'm like, I know I should apologize, but I really don't know what to apologize for. I want to, I'm trying to humble myself here. And, and it, it's reached points where we go, Babe, I don't know what the solution is for this ex exact thing right now. But what I do know is that the devil will not come between me and you. We will not allow it. And then sometimes I say to her, the sun's already set. So we'll wait for tomorrow's sunset to sort this out. <laughs> so we won't sleep angry tomorrow night. The Bible doesn't say, you know, sort out your anger before you go to bed. It says before the sun sets. The days are very short right now. <laughs> the point is, my love for my wife, it will not end. It will not be separated. And that's a heads up for what we're going to read today. So let's turn to our Bibles, Romans 8 from verse 31. We're going to read verse 31 to 39, but I'm going to do it like two verses at a time, and we're going to break it up and get into what is happening here, because it's so profound, so powerful. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Sure. This is just like three verses, guys. Four, four verses. In these last few verses of Romans chapter 8, who many call, like I said, the greatest chapter in the Bible, Paul asks a series of very powerful and thought-provoking questions designed to make a Christ follower think deeply and come to vital revelations about his or her identity in Christ. Just in these three or four verses, there are five questions. And the first question is, what shall we say about these things? So we have to ask, what are these things? Now, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. They would have been reading the letter from the start throughout. We've been reading this letter from chapter 1 over the last few months even. But normally you would sit and read the letter from the start. And by the time you get here, you would know that the all things he's talking about, or these things he's talking about, is everything that he's been talking about up until now. But... Probably more specifically, it's the two verses we covered last week, which is Romans 8, verse 28 to 30, which I'll just remind you of quickly. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn about, among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, He also called, and whom He called, He also justified, and whom He justified, He also glorified. So what shall we say about these things? that this is who you are in Christ? What shall we say about the fact that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called, those who He foreknew, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, those who He predestined, those who He called, those who He justified, those who He glorified? First of all, do you know that you are that when you are a child of God? All these words apply to you. I'm still waiting for the day where that gets a reaction. <laughs> and the answer, so he asks the question, what shall we say about these things? The fact that we are all these things in Christ. What shall we say about these things? His conclusion is another question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Anyone here in this gathering or online, are you a Christ follower? Do you love God? Are you called according to His purpose? Okay, well, then He, then he, is, for, he is for you, and the answer to the, the theoretical question, or the, sorry, rhetorical question, not the theoretical question, the, He is for you, and the answer to the rhetorical question is, who can be against, you, who can be against us is no one. No one can be against us. So he's, he's asking a question, he's answering his own question with another question. And the answer is, no one. 
If God is for you, who can be against you? No one. So when you think someone is against you, who's wrong? They just hate me. They don't like me. They curse me. And they say all kinds of ugly things. I just feel the whole world is against me. You're believing a lie. It might be a reality in your direct circumstances that things are against you, people are against you. But ultimately, from an eternal perspective, when you are kingdom-minded, the question is, who can be against you effectively when it comes to things of eternity? No one. Because God is for you. God is the only one who truly is the greatest of all time, and no one can come against him. We have to ask this because an important note on this message is the truth is purely for the elect of God. I'm asking who is saved in this house because this message is for the elect. If you don't know if you are saved, born again, a new creation in Christ, we can help you to make sure and we can help to make sure that you're part of God's family. But this message from Paul is for the church in Rome. He is speaking to born again believers, the elect of God. This is not for everyone. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? So first and foremost, when we read the book of Romans, we need to know that he's talking to believers. And he's reminding them all the way through who they are in Christ. And then also we need to notice that he, he doesn't say what can be against us. He says specifically who can be against us. He's asking the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? And it's important as we go through the next few verses as well. So just keep that in mind. Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now we need to look back to two other verses from the same chapter. Verse 17 to 18. Here Paul says, We are children of God, and if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If Indeed, we suffer with him. Do you remember when we spoke about that? We are children of God, and if we are children of God, we are heirs. But then there is an if. The if is, if indeed we suffer with him, if we suffer with Christ, that there's a reason why we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. And then he says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which we shall, which shall be revealed in us. So the fact is there are sufferings to be had, to go through in this life. Are we on the same page? So when he says, I did not spare, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely, will he not forgive us all things? So we have to ask the question, if he's talking about sacrifice and suffering of his son and then what he gives us and he has already explained to us that if we are to live as Christians in this life, there will be suffering with Christ. Then we need to be careful to think that the all things is my next house, my next car, my next whatever. Are you with me? God the Father did not spare his own son. Jesus is the Father's Son and His most precious, I don't want to say thing, but it's the most precious thing in His life. Jesus to the Father. Can we see that? 
How many of you are fathers in the house? How will you feel about the idea of sacrificing your son? You can't comprehend it. I mean, we, as a father, you read the story of Abram and Isaac, and you, you, you can't fathom that. You read the story of Jesus, and you think, I can't fathom this. Now, the father did not spare. That those words are quite emotive. It's a, it speaks of the ultimate sacrifice that the father made for us. He's the most precious to him. And that's how much he loves us, which brings us or, or, or refers back to John 3.16, which is he, loves, he loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Now, the love of the world that's available is different from the love we're going to see just now for his elect. So there's a love that out of the love that he has for the world, he wants to see everyone saved. And out of that love, he gave his only son. Then he also explains in John 1, 2, 3 that only those who receive Jesus earn the right to become children of God. Now the children of God are the ones who then become heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So there's something that's available to those who are willing to give their lives to Christ. Are we, are we, with, are we on the same page? Now, here in verse 32, we see that he delivered him up for us all, speaking about the elect of God. Two important things to notice here. Giving up Jesus for us was probably the hardest thing for God to do. So giving us all things pertaining to his kingdom and eternity is not hard in comparison to what he has already given. Do we see that? He says that he will freely give us all things. He gave up his son. He did not spare his son. So, so then the logical conclusion is that he will not withhold all the other things. That was the hardest thing for him to do. The other things is not that hard. Are you following? Secondly, the all things that he gives us freely is probably not what you think. Or what you've maybe have even been taught. When we read the context of Romans and specifically the Romans 8 verse 17 and 18 that I read earlier. We have to see there's a very important aspect of being part of the elect. Which involves suffering in this life with Jesus. And it has the promise of being glorified together with him. But the promise is contingent on whether we have walked with and like Jesus. Now, this is not a popular truth. This is not something that excites the average cultural Christian because it, it challenges the way we think. It challenges the, the, how we look at life. It definitely challenges an incorrect prosperity view of the Bible. Because what, what the world calls happiness and what the world calls success and what the world calls you having everything you need is not what the Bible is talking about. It's just not. So when Paul, who, by the way, if you don't know this, who was among many other things, shipwrecked, imprisoned, lashed 39 times, four times in his life, he, was, uh, he also suffered many other kinds of sufferings. This Paul, 
who, when he got saved, when he had his Damascus Road moment, and God, God, God spoke to Ananias and said to him, you have to meet this guy who was persecuting the church. I have plans for his life. And, he's, and, and then Ananias was like going, God, is, is this the same guy that's persecuting Christians? And God said to him, yes, I will show him what he needs to suffer for my kingdom. That was the plan from the beginning. By God. You see, we look at suffering and we think, oh, all suffering is bad. It's not. Just look at giving birth to a baby. It was suffering, carrying the baby, giving birth to the baby, but then there's glory. How many of you go to the gym to strengthen your muscles, to get more fit? While you are training, it's suffering. And then there's the glory of a six-pack. Hopefully. And they laugh because not so, not so much. <laughs> because they say the six-pack is formed in the kitchen, not in the gym. But you get what I'm saying. This truth is actually written throughout the whole of life. But somehow, for some reason, when it comes to God and living for Him and living with Him, we try to separate it. We're like, no, I just want to have an easy, nice, chilled walk with Jesus. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you believe that, then you are taking many scriptures like these out of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying expect to have a really horrible life. I'm not saying that. But I do want us to know that when we read this together with James 1 and with Romans 5, which we have already dealt with, it says that we should expect trials, tribulations, and things to happen in this life. But then it promises every time, take heart, for in Jesus you'll have peace. So it's not a question of if things will happen that we will have to suffer through. It's a question of when. But if you have an expectation that it will never happen, or if you have an expectation that if I'm a Christian, I'm not supposed to suffer, you're going to have a really hard time. All these scriptures prepare us and say, you will see these things happen. And I'm building up, well, Paul is building up to even more of that. So the, all these things have happened to Paul. And so when he says, God will freely give us all things, we need to know it's not, or at least not only, material things. What he's giving us is not just, or at least not only, material things that we want from God. It is those things which we need to live a life worthy of God's glory. The all things that God wants for us are the things that we need and He knows we need to live a life worthy of His glory. Things that have eternal purpose and things that are steeped in kingdom principles. That's the all things that God wants for us. Paul did not write this as a revelation from the Holy Spirit, thinking of the Bentley that you're going to drive one day. He did not. But there's many, many Christians who think that. They grab this verse and they name it, claim it, frame it. And I'm not saying those things aren't possible. Yes, they are possible. But it's not the point. It's not the main thing. 
The main thing is kingdom. The main thing is glory for God. The main thing is eternity. Do you see that? The next verse, verse 33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. The next question deals with an accusation that the elect might face. So some of us, as the elect of God, might face accusations. Does this imply that the elect will not be charged by humans in human courts? No. Christians have been accused, charged, and sentenced over the world for centuries. So it's not that no one can bring a charge. So what does it mean? It means that no one can accuse the elect of something that God has already forgiven them of in Jesus Christ. He is the eternal judge of all the earth, and he's the one who justifies when it, with things that matter. Amen? It's extremely comforting to know this, because we can stand on this verse whenever we feel the enemy is attacking us with accusations, or he's attacking us with accusations of sins, or mistakes from our past life. Anyone ever had that happen? Like, uh, don't you remember you used to do this, and you used to do this, and you think you can like, you know, do this for God, but I know what you did in the dark you know, how many years ago? And you go, oh, I feel accused. Oh, and it brings guilt and shame. And I'm like, that's not who I am in Christ anymore. Let alone being actually accused, which is something that's becoming very real for Christians around the world in this time we live in. Where just because you believe the Bible is the word of God, some nations have now declared that the Bible is hate speech. So they've removed the Bible, and if you read the Bible out loud, especially certain passages, you are considered someone that is um, inciting hate in other people, and they will lock you up for that. It's already started to happen. So then you are being accused by humans in a human court, and there could be real consequences in this life. But it says that who can charge the elect? It's God who justifies so the court of human opinion, the court of human justice is not our ultimate authority that we stand under. Does that make sense? It's the court of God. It's the judgment of the eternal one, the ancient of days. The next verse says, who is he who condemns? So he first asks the questions, who wants to accuse? And now it says, who is he who condemns the elect? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. This is so powerful. He says, well, what about the voice of condemnation that leads us into a place of guilt and shame and turning away from God? What about that? What about this, these condemning voices? Well, we remind that voice or thought that we are getting that Jesus was condemned in my place for all my sins, iniquities, transgressions, and trespasses. So I'm, rem I'm reminding this thought, no, 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 no. You can't condemn me because Jesus was condemned in my place. Not just that, he died in my place. And by that, he satisfied the righteous judgment of the law of God. And not only that, he was risen and he defeated death. Not only that, he got seated at the right hand of God, the highest place of authority next to God himself. And not only that, as he is in this high place right on the right hand of God, he makes intercession for us. Does this sound familiar? We just read a couple of verses ago that the Holy Spirit 
intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be understood. So, so now you can know that you and I, as the elect of God, we can stand on the truth that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, seated in heavenly places, are interceding for us with the Father. Wow. Some of you don't get this yet. Because if you realize that Jesus, the Son of God, is at the right hand of God, interceding for you right now, there should be something that changes in your heart. There should be something that excites you, that blows your mind. And I pray that you'll get that revelation on a deep level. I pray it for myself as well, because I think we don't really fathom this. I mean, try to, just try to picture this holy place with God Almighty on His throne in heaven. And His Son, Jesus Christ, is on His right hand. And, and He's going, Father, man, I, I see this guy. I, I love him so much. You know, he's trusting you for this and he's trusting you for that. Come on, you know. I mean, imagine the conversations. Jesus interceding for you. Huh? Oh, it's beautiful. One final thought on these verses is just read with me again the first verse of this chapter. So if we go back to Romans 8 verse 1, now, we just heard that who shall condemn us? It's, and then it speaks about how Jesus has taken care of that. And the very first verse of this chapter says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then we went into the whole thing of what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? He's confirming a point he has already made. No one can condemn the elect of God. Come on. Then verse 35, this is the last crescendo part of this chapter. It's so beautiful. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We're talking about one love. I shared that story with you in the beginning. Remember that. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You can put these verses up. Did we lose the TVs? Oh, they're there. Okay. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We get another question. Who, not what, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then it lists things. It lists what? Not persons, except maybe for the demons and the, and the angels, which you can sort of see as persons, but they're not physical things that you can see in this realm. It says, who shall separate us? In verse 39, 
the, the last verse, it says, none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God. So we see there's the love of Christ Jesus that it can, we cannot be separated from, and there's the love of God in Christ Jesus we cannot be separated from. And then look at this list of 17 things that, we, that cannot separate us from the love of Christ and the love of God in Christ Jesus. These are the 17 things that cannot separate us from His love. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other created thing. Kind of covers everything, right? Is Paul asking whether something can stop God's love? He's not asking if God's love will stop. He's asking if anything can separate us from the love that he has. Are you seeing that? The love of God does not waver, does not stop. It is eternal. God is love. He cannot not be love. He is love. And he is eternal. So there's no way that his love for his elect will stop flowing from him. So this is not a question about whether he will keep loving you as the elect of God or not. The question is, can anything separate us, the elect, from the flow of his love? Imagine that God's love is a river. The source at the top of the river is God, and His love is flowing like a river towards the elect of God, the church. His love is flowing. On the way, as the river flows, there might be tribulation, there might be persecution, there might be any of these things that we read that try to block the flow of the river. But how many of you know that these 17 things do not have the power to stop the flow of the love of God? In fact, you can even see that as a barrier comes in, it starts to turn, it starts to break, and it starts to become part of the love of God. His love overwhelms. His love takes out the things that are not part of His love. It overwhelms completely what the enemy may throw at you. It overwhelms completely what you might think about yourself even. These powerful questions and statements are not conveying that these 17 things will not happen to God's elect. So it's not saying that these things won't happen. It's saying it will happen. And the way we know that is because it quotes a certain part from Psalm 44, verse 22. For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. For your sake we are killed all day long. Sleep for the shorter, for the slaughter. The context of that psalm is that people were not doing things in sin or wrong and were punished. They were actually doing everything right and following God and loving Him. 
And the consequences of them loving God and walking with God is that they were treated like sheep led to the slaughter. Why would Paul quote that in this context? Because he's trying to tell us these things will happen. Maybe not all 17 to one person. Thank God. We hope for that. But some of these things may have happened to you. One of the things on the list that you've probably experienced, some of us have experienced, is death. Losing a loved one. Or you getting close to dying. Even that moment cannot separate you from the love of God. Maybe you've been persecuted for what you believe in Jesus Christ. That cannot separate you from the love of God. Maybe you've at nighttime felt this oppressive thing in your room. Some kind of principality or power is trying to, trying to steal your joy, trying to make you feel intimidated and fearful. It cannot separate you from the love of God. Are you starting to see what's happening? This, this scripture does not promise that these things won't happen. It's actually preparing us that it will happen. Some of you want to stop listening now. This is not a lack of sermon, Heinz. This really challenges my, my, my flesh. I thought, I thought that, you know, it's fun to be a Christian. It is fun. Because you know you win. If you walk into a battle knowing that you will win because your king has already, have, he's already won, he has the victory, then, yeah, okay, maybe I'll go through some stuff that's uncomfortable. Like recently, very practically, we got robbed. They stole our computers and our cameras of our church. The thing that we used to communicate the word of God to the world was taken away. Theft. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. And it was stressful and irritating and annoying and very frustrating to go through that whole process of trying to get everything back up and running. And I, I had moments where I did not handle it well. Because it was attacking my flesh. And I was like, ah, can it just work? But that doesn't separate me from the love of God. And it doesn't stop us from building the kingdom. It will not stop us. If we have, if we just, if we have nothing, we can still gather and, and praise God. We can still gather and preach his word. Amen. It's not about the stuff. It's about Jesus and about his kingdom. We should expect some persecution, some distress, some nakedness, which is not when you're home alone. Maybe when you have, you need to have nothing. When you go hungry. Remember that the Bible teaches us that, let's speak about death for a moment. Imagine you have to face death for what you believe. Paul says, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. How many of you really believe that when it comes to the punch, when it comes to the crux of it? Woohoo, I'm gonna die. Come on, it's gain. Where does the world go? <gasps> I'm afraid of death. Do we really embrace that truth? Because the love of God, we cannot be separated from the love of God even by death. In fact, we will be reunited with God in glory when death comes. Can you see the difference? Sure. 
Paul is preparing warrior believers for the battle ahead. These things on the list will happen. Like I said, maybe not all, but some of them. But to know who you are in Christ, who God is, and what He has done, and what He has made available to you is what is important. It's to be prepared. How many of you guys are in companies where training is needed for people to do their jobs well? Okay. This is what Paul's doing. He's training us. He's training the church in Rome and by, by extension us as believers of this day and age. He was speaking to a divided church, Jews and Gentiles, trying to figure out a whole bunch of stuff and at the same time reaching a city for Jesus. And he was trying to tell them it's not about the stuff that you're fighting about. There are more important things that will happen and that needs to happen. You need to be prepared. You need to know who you are in Christ. You need to know what His Holy Spirit gives you and makes available to you so that you can go and be effective in the kingdom. You see, some people read parts of Romans 8 and they go, woohoo, all things will work together for the, for the good. And they stop reading there. Or they say, you know, Christ has died so that I can have all things. Yes, name it, claim it, frame it. I'm gonna have the house, I'm gonna have the car, I'm gonna have this, I'm gonna have that. And it stops there. Yes, God wants you to have a house. He wants you to be blessed, absolutely, but it's not about that. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. But don't seek first the things. You will miss the kingdom completely. Never before, never before, has it been so important for the elect of God to know who they are and what they are here for? The world is shouting and screaming and shoving down our throats a whole bunch of crazy lies that is not true. It's not the word of God. It's not who we are. It's not who we are, what we are here for. And the thing is, if you don't spend enough time in the Word of God, if you don't spend enough time with other believers who have a narrative of the Word of God, your narrative will start to shift to the world's narrative because they keep spewing it at you through media and news and newspapers and magazines. And they try to tell you this is actually how it is. And then after a while you go, maybe it is like that. Once that happens, he's got you. Don't let it happen. If something is contrary to the word of God, it doesn't suddenly change to being okay. It's still contrary to the word of God. It doesn't change. His word is eternal. His word is true. His word stands. To make the argument that, oh, it's an old book, therefore it's not applicable, is unwise and foolish. Because there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing there may be more of some crazy things happening right now, but there's nothing new under the sun. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, they were as immoral as we see in our world today. He was addressing those issues and he was listing them and saying, this is not what you do as a Christian. This is what you do. This is how your life looks. Why was it necessary for him to say it? Because they were doing it. They were mixing with the world. And that's one of the problems he had with the Roman church. The Jews were being religious and legalistic. And they weren't welcoming the Gentiles unless the Gentiles start doing what the Jews do. 
the Jews had license. They were like, woohoo, we can do what we want and still keep sinning. You know, we can love Jesus and walk in this kingdom and grace, grace, grace. It's amazing. He's like, no, 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 you're both wrong. And you are not united in Christ. And this is a problem. We see these things in our world today. It's not the will of God. So Paul, and, and by extension myself, I want to see a church of warrior disciples, the elect of God, who know who they are, who are confident in the knowledge that nothing can separate us from the love of God. These things will come, but I'm ready. And even if, I, if it comes and I feel a bit overwhelmed, I'm like, God, I praise you. God, I thank you. Friends in, in church, come around me. Come around me. Let's pray. This is tough. I don't know what to do or how to handle this, but I know that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And I know who I am in Christ Jesus. And I know that Jesus is interceding for me at the right hand of God. And I know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for me. So this has to go well in the end. Because all things work together for the good of those who love Him and are called to His purposes. But I also know that if I'm in Christ Jesus as a child of God, I'm an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. If I suffer with Jesus, then I will be also glorified with Him. Both are true. There's a process in this life. We are being built we are being stretched so that our faith can grow so that we become more like Christ Jesus if the ultimate goal is for us to look like Christ Jesus what do you think will happen to this it will be challenged so that it can die completely how many of you ever had the moment where you go sure I think I'm truly dead to self now I'm, I'm in a good place what normally happens around that time something hits you for like what happened and then stuff comes out of your mouth and you go okay maybe I'm not dead to self as much as I thought I was it's kind of like me when I when I reached a certain point in my life I thought I think I'm unselfish enough now to get married and then I got married I'm like whoa I'm selfish and then after we were married for a while I thought I think I'm unselfish enough now to have children Then I have children like, oh my word, I'm selfish. Where did my time go? And then I decided I'm never going to say that I'm now not selfish anymore. (laughs) But that that is this process. And the thing, the question, who will separate us from the love of God? The things on that list, some of it can come from God himself. Think of the moment with Peter before the crucifixion. Jesus came to Peter and he said to him, Satan has asked for you so he can sift you. I pray that your faith will not leave you and that when you return to your brothers, you will edify them. Sorry, Jesus, can you rather pray that Satan leaves me alone? Like, what is that about? Satan asked for you by name that he may sift you. And Jesus doesn't go, I stopped him. I told him, no, hands off my boy. Which is what you would expect, right? He didn't do that. What did he do? I pray that your faith 
will be strong. What is that? Jesus interceding, even as you, in human form on earth, he's already doing what he, was, what he is going to do at the right hand of God for all of us. He's saying, I'm interceding for you, that your faith will be strong. What happened right after that? Peter denied Jesus three times. He was being sifted. He was being tested. He was being challenged. Did the love of God ever get separated from him? No. Because shortly after that, Jesus restored him. And he said to him, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus. Build my church. Nothing is impossible for our God. And nothing can separate you from his love. But sometimes he will take you through the fire to test your faith, to build your faith, to build your character. Sometimes, yes, the enemy will attack through demonic spirits or powers or principalities that tries to get into your head. Yes, it will happen. But you know who you are. And you know that according to 2 Corinthians 10, you've got weapons that are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, lofty ideas, and anything that rises against Christ Jesus. You can put it under the authority of Christ Jesus. You've got Ephesians 6 that says you've got armor, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, belt of truth, feet, um, shoes for the willingness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are all things I can use against the wiles of the enemy. Okay, cool. I'm prepared. Why would Paul tell us we need armor if there's going to be no battle? I, I, I really need this idea that as a Christian, I'm going to miss everything to get out of your head. You need to fall out of agreement with that mindset and get ready for what's going to come your way. And know that a lot of it has to do with God disciplining you out of love. A lot of it has to do with God shaping you to become the man or the woman of God he wants you to be. And some of it will be you struggling with stuff from the past. Some of it will be the enemy attacking you, yes. Out of these 17 things, one or two or three or four of the stuff might still happen to you. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. In most cases, it actually means he loves you so much. And it means that he trusts you, that you can get through this. It's a lekker boodskap, nee. Jening op die oor. Sure, God is good. Saints, let us not abuse these verses to name, claim, and frame things that we want. Let us rather be kingdom-minded so that when, as we saw in, in uh, John 15, when Jesus says, abide in me as my words abide in you, then whatever you ask will be done. Let what comes out of here when we pray fervently as righteous men and women of God, earnestly before the Father, let this what comes out of our mouth be in line with God's will. And then we will see it manifest in this earth. If you ever pray stuff and get frustrated because it doesn't happen, take a moment and just check, is this in alignment with the will of God. 
Or is this in alignment with my will? Because many times we get frustrated because we're praying outside of the will of God. And he's saying, abide in me let my, as my word abides in you. And pray according to that. If you don't know what to pray or how to pray, what did we say last week? Pray in tongues. Then the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and with you. And he makes the will of the Father known to you. Now that I know the will of the Father, now I can pray fervently, earnestly, like James 5 says. And I can pray with authority. And I can see the changes starting to happen. Amen. I've prayed for a car, but it doesn't come. Okay. What about that guy next to you who is sick? Jesus said, pray for him so that he can be healed. You pray for him, he gets healed. They're like, why did that happen? But I didn't get my car. I don't know. Maybe the one is God's will and the one is not. Maybe the one was so about you and God was saying, just lift your eyes from what you want. Seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness and then all these other things will be added to you. But we don't do that. We don't like the if part of the if then. We like the if. Ach, we like the then. I just want the then. All things work together for good. Yes, I like that part. Yeah, but it says for those who love God. And, and the definition of loving God is attached to loving our brothers in Christ well. We saw that last week. So if I don't love my brother, but I say I love God, the Bible says I'm a liar. Can I stand on the promise that all things work together for good if I don't really love God because I actually love myself because I struggle to love my brother? You see, we have to ask ourselves these questions that, are, that, that look in the real state of our hearts and minds and ask ourselves, is that really where I'm operating from? Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.